0: So many of the forums have been um, similar in nature this week. Um, the the ones dealing on depression, and so I hope some of the information is not going to be repetitive. Um, but throughout this week, so many people have been coming up to me and telling me, "Oh, I really struggle with this," and um, there's a real need out there. Uh, most of us will experience some type of uh, low self-esteem issues at some point, and uh, what I'd like to just help you is to understand a little bit about it and um, if we can become aware of what is happening to us we can stop it before it gets to the point of depression a uh, low self-esteem is not to the um, extent of depression or some of these other major issues that were discussed yesterday but they are very real and they can really um, keep us bound if we don't overcome them before they get to that point uh, before we start i've asked brother bob to lead us in a word of prayer
1: Let's just bow our heads in prayer. Lord, we have reason again this afternoon to come before Thee with thanksgiving, praise and honor, and we call upon Thee this afternoon as we have gathered for a specific reason, and that is to uh, help understand ourselves a little better. And as we would look into this, we would pray for our sister that she would be able to Help those that may have this difficulty of self-image. We know, Lord, that Satan has a way of trying to destroy anyone he can in any way he can. And many times it's their own self-image. And so we would just pray, Father, this afternoon that as we look into this, that your will will be done and that you will give the wisdom and the knowledge to each of us that we might help someone in some way. So we pray these things now and thank Thee in Jesus' precious name. Amen.
0: Um, I want to start off with just reading one verse from Isaiah 61. The Spirit of the Lord God is upon me, because the Lord hath anointed me to preach good tidings unto the meek. He hath sent me to bind up the brokenhearted, to proclaim liberty to the captives, and the opening of the prison to them that are bound, to proclaim the acceptable year of the Lord, And the day of vengeance of our God, to comfort all that mourn, to appoint unto them that mourn in Zion, to give unto them beauty for ashes, the oil of joy for mourning, the garment of praise for the spirit of heaviness, that they might be called trees of righteousness, the planting of the Lord, that he might be glorified. I wanted to start off um, this forum by sharing my own personal testimony. I can just give you um, facts about how to deal with low self-esteem, but hearing other testimonies uh, this week, I found it very beneficial. And the Lord really laid on my heart to share it because the big thing about low self-esteem or low self-concept is that we tend to feel so isolated. We think that nobody else struggles with it. And because of the masks we put on, We have no idea that other people are going through this. So I am going to share my testimony of um, the experiences that I had, some of the experiences that I had. And as I share my experiences, um, I'd like you to also think possibly of the experiences that you have had when you first um, possibly felt um, similar feelings of low self-esteem. I was raised in a Christian home, a very, very loving home, and I felt very confident and secure until about the age of nine. Um, At that point, um, we had a little baby sister of mine that had died. She was born with a hole in her heart. And that caused my mom to go into quite a depression for a while, for about a year and a half. And that was the first time when I really started feeling lonely. I I felt like something was really different in our family life. Um, my mom wasn't around and for some reason just didn't seem as joyful and um, I did have to start of course taking over a little bit in the kitchen and I loved doing that I loved um, you know cooking and cleaning so for me that was a real joy and I would end up being in the kitchen quite a bit and um, you know making cupcakes and stuff and I started turning to food um, for some comfort and I started putting on some weight and I got a bit chubby around age 10 and 11 And um, I wasn't made fun of by my own family members. That was just not something that was done. But I had cousins that made fun of me. And at church, um, those of you that are from West Akron might remember that um, there was um, one of my best friend's sisters was actually an artist. And she decided to do a comic strip um, based on myself and two of my best friends. And it was called The Three Stooges. And, of course, I was the chubby one. And about every, so, every few months, a new comic strip would come out, and all the kids in the church could hardly wait for this comic strip to come out. And it really hurt me. I was so embarrassed. I just, I dreaded when that comic strip would come out. But I put on this face, and I would just laugh about it, because there really wasn't anything that I could do about it. And these comic strips just kept coming out for about a year or two. And um, someone has them still. Um, I might laugh about it now. But um, that really, really hurt me. And I started feeling, like, so ugly. And um, I just, it was pretty devastating to me. And um, what happened was, I just, around age 12, um, I got to a point where I just went on a starvation diet. And in about three months, I lost 50 pounds. And I started fainting and getting dizzy. And my health teacher actually called up my mom because he was very concerned. So she took me to the doctor. And the doctor, you know, warned her just to keep an eye on me because it's like borderline anorexia. And um, so I went home. And everything was okay. I mean, my my mom was more conscious and making sure that I was eating. and, And I put on some weight again. And I stayed healthy for about a year or so. And I actually came to know the Lord. Um, I started converting when I was only 13 years old. And uh, just a few months after I was 14, I was baptized. Um, but what happened was um, I, I started developing um, like perfectionist. I, I sort of became like a perfectionist. And um, I I still love doing the housework and the cooking and the cleaning, and my mom, you know, needed the help. So I started taking over in in a pretty big way. And um, we had one aunt, actually, that had come over to our house once when I was young. And um, she had a plaque that said, bless this mess. And I was so embarrassed that she brought that over. That actually happened when I was about six, and that made a huge impact on me. That turned me into a neat freak. Um, But... I just would go overboard and just constantly clean and um, go through all the drawers and make sure everything was just perfect. And um, I just also wanted to become the perfect Christian. Like in our church, I just wanted to reach out to all the hurting and and the elderly. And I, I just wanted to do every job that was available in the church just to become this perfect person. And in the meantime, as most of you know, my mom ended up getting a brain tumor, and um, she ended up having to go to the hospital and was gone for quite a long time, and um, more responsibility was given to me. And I took that on, um, but again, I took it to the extreme where um, I was you know, going to school and working and uh, just making sure everything was perfect. The lunches were made and um, just trying to do the best that I could. But the pressure was starting to get to me. And I started turning to food again. And it actually developed into an eating disorder. And I developed bulimia. And as a Christian, I felt so horrified that I had this. I just, I would beg God that he would please help me to overcome this. And I would pray and pray, and I would feel so guilty about it. And for some reason, it just wasn't getting any better. It was just getting worse as time went on. And I felt like I couldn't tell anybody this. I was so embarrassed and I was afraid that I would get excommunicated from the church. I didn't want to shame my family. So I couldn't you know, even tell my parents because I just couldn't put them through that shame. They had enough to deal with with my mom being sick and I didn't want my dad to have to worry about you know, now me being sick on top of it. So I kept that secret from everyone and didn't tell anyone. So what that did was that actually isolated me from even having any friends because I couldn't, Tell anybody. I, I couldn't risk the chance of anybody finding out. And I actually put on this mask. I, I loathed myself so bad. I, w- I couldn't even look in the mirror. I just thought I was so ugly and so despicable, and how could God even love me? And it was weird because, on one hand, I would just draw so close to God and pray and read and try to become a better Christian. But yet there was a part of me that felt like, well, God must not really love me because I'm doing this. And if I would just overcome this, he'll love me. And um, it didn't happen. No matter how much I prayed, I just was not getting better. But I couldn't let anyone know that, so I put on a mask. And I was, um, I guess, you know, cheerful most of the time. And I don't think that anybody would have suspected how really low I felt about myself. And then I hit really rock bottom. Um, I was in my second year of university, and I had just finished exams, and my bulimia was at its worst. I was so exhausted and physically sick, and I had no control over the bulimia at this point. I was doing it almost daily. And this was when I turned to God, and I just said, I can't do this alone. I need somebody. I need some help. Please just send me a friend. And our family was going to go to California, for Christmas, and like I said, I, I didn't think I could go. I didn't think I could make the trip, um, but my dad said, "Oh, just come on, it'll be good for you. You need to get out." And I basically laid on the, land, on the van floor most of the trip because I was so sick. Well, as I said, I had you know prayed that God would send me someone, and this was a person of accountability. This was a person that I was going to be able to depend on, that I was going to actually share this with. Um, I, I didn't know who the person was going to be, but I trusted that God would lead the right person to me. We went to California for two weeks, and um, it ended up that Dragon was actually there at the time. Now, in the meantime, I never thought marriage was in my plan at all. I thought there's no way anybody would ever even look at me or consider me, or if they would get to know me. Um, there was no way I could even allow anybody to get to know me, because... They would just see what a despicable human being I was because that's how I viewed myself. And I had my own plan. I was going to finish nursing school and then go and do some missionary work. And that was um, just in my plan. I would be home and take care of my family for the rest of my life. Well, I got back from California and my dad got a phone call and I got a proposal. And I told him, "Say no." I didn't even want to know who it was. And my parents were, you know, quite surprised that I said that. And I. Um, they didn't understand why, but they told me that I need to really pray about that. And I shared that I need to be at home, that they needed me. And they said, don't look at that. God will take care of us. You need to just follow what God wants for you. Um, I struggled for a week. I was, so, I was very, very sick um, emotionally and physically. It bothered me a lot. But I did get peace, complete peace, um, overwhelming peace day after day that God definitely wanted me uh, to get married to Dragan. I had to tell Dragan that I had bulimia, because I felt he had the right to know that before um, our engagement was announced. And I did tell him, and he said, oh, OK, you know, that, that's fine. Yeah, I still want to marry you. I don't know if he knew what it was, <laughs> um, but um, we went ahead. And I actually had my last binge the day before I was married. Um, Well, what happened was um, I was very, very happy. Um, I was very thankful that someone actually, you know, would even love me. But um, it was in some ways still I I couldn't believe that he really did. And I had some... um, some issues where I didn't really trust him deep down. I thought if he sees somebody that's a better Christian than me, or somebody you know prettier or or thinner, that he's going to turn away. And I always had this fear inside me that he was going to leave me. And um, I really knew that I needed help, even though we were very very happy. And I didn't. He didn't really. I didn't let on a lot to this. But um, one one day, it was probably. He doesn't cry very often, but it was the first time that I had um, really seen him cry, and it was because of me, because he said, well, what am I doing wrong? Like, he felt like such a bad husband that he was not meeting my needs, and he was taking it as him, and what is he doing wrong as a husband? And this is where low self-esteem affects other people. Um, I realized that I am hurting him so bad, and we just both wept and and we prayed and I said it's not you it's me and this was where I really started reaching out and praying that God had to fill that void like nobody else on this earth could fill that for me um, completely even though I got constant reassurance from him and um, I began to understand that this is what I was suffering from was low self-esteem I really didn't even understand what it was I didn't I just knew that I felt low about myself, but I didn't know that there was actually, I guess, a word for it or something that you can actually do to get over it. And I began to, I couldn't even ask the dog. I would just whisper it, do you think I'm ugly? Because that's how I felt, over and over again. And he would say no, you know, and he would really reassure me. But this went on for a long time. And he understood that whenever I would whisper, do you think I'm ugly? He understood that I was feeling bad about myself. And I would whisper, do you think God loves me? And it took me a long time before I could even ask him that. Do you believe that God loves me? And he would say, yes, I do. And, and um, I would say, oh, how do you know? And he said, well, God told me, you know, and it, it's in the Bible. And, and over and over, and that took years before I really actually believed it, that God actually did love me. And um, I remember the first time that I actually sang Jesus Loves Me, that I believed that that was truly for me. Even though I understood salvation, I did accept salvation more through fear instead of through love. And I didn't understand the grace and, and the forgiveness. I just would be on my knees for so many hours begging God to forgive me because of my bulimia and thinking that was such a bad sin that I couldn't, even though God did forgive me, I couldn't forgive myself. So I did begin uh, to start searching for healing and and to uh, reach out. I started reading a lot. I started um, really praying and asking God for guidance in this. I didn't have the um, the books or anybody really to help me or to direct me. I sort of kind of came upon it. God actually opened the doors slowly, step by step through either people or things that I read, um, whatever it was. And I felt that I need to start making reconciliation. And um, I spoke to my parents about my bulimia and they just said "Oh, we wish you would have told us. We would have helped you. We would have got the help that you would have needed. And that's where Satan lies to us, where he isolates us. Um, I felt all alone. I could have reached out to my parents long ago or anyone else Um, I also that we also came to camp and I told dog and I really feel like I need to confess this and um, I got an elder brother and I talked with him and um, I shared with him my struggles of what I had gone through and he said be free sister I was in with him for like literally probably three four minutes And that's all it took. And here I had been so afraid of getting excommunicated from the church, you know. And I guess that was my mentality as, you know, 13, 14, 15-year-old. But again, it was a lie. And um, basically what I also then needed was um, a sense to belong. And um, being in Kitchener, um, we started up a a mother's group, actually, and I formed some friendships there that I was able to have friends for the first time in my life. I still didn't really open up true feelings. It took a long time. But since then, I really have some wonderful sisters that are in our church that I can share everything from my heart, the struggles that I'm going through, and they love me unconditionally. And I'm so thankful for that. I'm actually able to also um, live my teen years through my kids and... Um, getting a lot of joy through that. I wouldn't change any of the experiences that I have gone through Um, and I'm also not sharing these experiences like what we heard yesterday to fish back into old memories. I'm sharing this um, as a testimony that through painful experiences everybody has them to some degree and um, I just wanted to share them with you today and to tell you that I am very, very thankful that I had those experiences. They made me what I am today. They made me be more compassionate to others that are hurting. It did take years to tear down the walls of the low self-esteem, but it can be done, and I am proof for that. Um, What I would like to do now is just go over um, some of the steps. Um, First of all, the definition. Um, I read the scripture this morning, as he thinketh in his heart, so is he. It's basically how we perceive ourselves. The way we look at ourself and feel of our of ourself way down in our heart, and it is true what you see and what you feel you will become. If you have too low of a self of self esteem, your view is apart from the grace of God and His truths. We will become distant toward God, and we become a person that is jealous of almost everyone. It's very he- important that we have a healthy self-esteem because it's necessary to living a productive Christian life. And it enables us to accomplish the work that God wants us to do. And we can feel like we're an important tool. If we don't have a healthy one, we're actually a handicap. We feel inadequate to really do anything that the Lord wants us to do. And it hinders us from being used in a way that God would want us to be used. We spend way too much energy either trying to be somebody dreading who we are or being preoccupied with feelings of being a nobody. So we need to ask ourselves some questions. Is our self-esteem healthy, and is it pleasing to God? I wanted to read a survey that Dr. Dobson did. It's the number, if you bear with me just for a minute, Um, Jim Dobson tells about a poll he took among a large group of women. Most of them were married, in excellent health, and and happy. According to their own statements, they had happy children and financial security. On the test, Dr. Dobson listed 10 sources of depression. He asked the women to number them in the order of how the 10 affected their lives. This is the list he gave them. Absence of romantic love in your marriage, in-law conflicts, low self-esteem, problems with children, financial difficulties, loneliness, isolation, and boredom, health problems, fatigue and time pressure, and aging. The women rated these by the amount of depression each produced. What what came out ahead of all the others was low self-esteem. Fifty percent of these Christian women rated it first. Eighty percent of them rated it in the top two or three. Can you see the wasted emotional and spiritual potential? These women were battling depression, which came chiefly from the downward pool of feelings of low self-worth. So what shapes our self-concept? We learned some of this this week. Our family, community, peers, environment, media, traumatic and emotional experiences, and our personality types. Each of us handles things differently. People from the same family can interpret and respond to situations differently. By the age of three or four, our self-concept already begins to evolve. And it takes an average about 15 years to have a complete self of competence. We develop physically and emotionally. And hopefully, we will have a minimum of insecurities and anxieties. We tend to judge ourselves by our appearance, performance, and status. And we also need to belong to feel worthwhile and competent. So here's a few questions to gauge your own self image. Question number one if four people affirmed you and one criticized you which would you be inclined to believe number two which is the first adjective you think of yourself to describe yourself is it fat no good ugly unworthy a failure stupid I can't do anything right bad Christian just go into a ladies restroom hide in a stall for a little while and you can hear the comments that girls make about themselves they stand there Oh, I'm so fat. Oh, look at my hair. Look at these zits. You don't hear any positive comments. As a part of my healing, I had to write a letter to myself. And I wrote for about three, three pages nonstop. And I was shocked. When I reread the letter, I was so shocked at what I had thought about myself. I never really even knew how low I thought of myself. Like, I wouldn't say the things that I said to myself to any other human being on this earth. So why would I say it to myself, someone that the Bible says I'm supposed to love and cherish? I wanted also to share with you um, a survey that I handed out in our church. Um, All of the people that um, answered the survey, um, I got about 50 of them back, so I based uh, the percentages on those, all were raised in a Christian home. Every one of them believed that God loved them. Every one of them said that they do feel feelings of low self-esteem at some point. Ages 13 to 18 had the most feelings of inadequacies and inferiority, guilt, doubt, and worry. 10% of those that answered yes to that, feelings of um, low self-esteem, said that they felt these feelings most of the time. Those that did answer that they had extreme low self-esteem said that they did not feel appreciated or loved by their parents. 99% said that they wear a mask in public. 100% said they compare themselves to other people. Most of the women felt inferior based on their outward appearance. When asked if they could change something about themselves, the women said that they would change their weight. That was the highest answer. The first stage of developing low self-esteem is rejection. At some point in our life, we're going to feel some type of rejection. Christ himself was perfect, and he felt rejection. We may try to change for approval of others or for our own behavior. We may try to change that and um, try to fit in. We may have some emotions that we feel about bad things that have happened to us. We might feel hostility, guilt, fear, anger. These are actual good emotions that we all will feel. And they're very healthy. And we can feel them for a time and then hopefully handle the situation and move on. But people with a low self-concept tend to get stuck in these feelings and they have a difficult time handling tough times. Those that, if you feel more rejection and the situation keeps going on, we have certain defense mechanisms that we put up. There's three ways we put walls around ourselves. And depending on our personality types, we will handle these situations differently. The, we, all, we learned yesterday about the different personality types. The first one is beat the system or the situation. Okay, a person might say, well, This is how it is, but you know what? I'm going to become way better than everybody else. I'm going to become a perfectionist or obsessed with body image through diet, exercise, weight, climbing the corporate ladder, getting straight A's. They can actually even become proud and elevate themselves to a certain point because they do succeed and look down upon others. This is where pride is formed. They tend to look to worldly standards for their fulfillment. The result is extreme worry, insecurity, loneliness, perfectionism. They don't have very healthy relationships because everything is just surface. Um, And everybody's beauty diminishes with age. Um, Money can fail. Like, they can't keep up with everyone. So that's why they react in these ways. These people have very little need for God, and they struggle with lordship. They were disappointed with God, so they just don't want to have anything to do with him. The second way is give in to the system or the situation. This is where a lot of people tend to fit in. And some people can fit in into more than one of these areas. But this this type of person does not like the situation, but they just try to cope and make do as a second class citizen just to fit in. They tend to draw inward, be more lonely, They do try to get approval from other people and just strive to be a better person but they often fail to achieve their own standards these result in feelings of worthlessness inferiority these people do need God and people but they do struggle with trust the last type of person is they rebel against the system or the situation they just hate the system and they fight social structures and the authorities. They become very rebellious. They dress in objectionable ways, and so they're the social outcasts. These might be the gothics that you see out on the streets or um, those that turn to drugs and alcohol. They tend not to care about anyone or anything. They result in bitterness, self-hating, irresponsible, and undisciplined behavior. These people see God as a tyrant, and they rebel against the system. So there are two ways that we get to a point of low self-esteem. The first one is, as we learned, wounds from the past. We can allow wounds from the past to keep us down. We can be hindered by our parents' view of us or by a friend's rejection. We can nurture the memory of cruel words that were said to us and even believe them. We can allow ourselves to be intimidated by another person, believing him or her to be better than we are. We can be so focused on what other people can do that we fail to see our own potentials. When we view ourselves in an unbiblical way, we don't see our God-given worth. The memories that we might have are harsh words from parents, unreasonable expectations, even lack of discipline, a lot of criticism, physical mental abuse, sexual abuse, bullying, being made fun of, having a handicap, or an unattractive physical feature, abandonment, death of a loved one, or mistrust. These can make us feel flawed, unwanted, unloved, unimportant. We can feel ugly, stupid, a failure. We will never amount to much. These comments actually can shape what we think about ourselves if we let them, and they will eventually come out. You can't cover it up. It will eventually come out, and people will see through, as we heard yesterday. The outcome, rebellion and insecurity, is the biggest outcome. Anxiety disorders are the number one mental health problem in the world. We can begin to misread people and take things personally. We can become paranoid. We can say, oh, that person didn't talk to me. They didn't phone me. They don't like me. We can look to others for fulfillment instead of to God. People might need constant approval and praise and love or manipulation due to jealousy or envy to fulfill a constant need of approval, can have self-pity, feel sorry for me because of what I've been through, even lying to fabricate stories to make themselves look better than others. We can't form close relationships because of mistrust and difficulty dealing with criticism. There's a story about a three-year-old boy. He was found at a local motel begging for food. His mom had abandoned him because she had cancer and thought that that the state would actually be able to take better care of him. He was put into a really good Christian home and was given lots of love and attention. But he had been starved as a child, and at the table he would just eat uncontrollably. And one thing, his um, mom went into his room, and she smelled something very, very bad, and she found that he had been hiding food under his bed. And even though he was, he was given a wonderful home and his needs were met, he still went back to the old way that he remembered. And it took a while for him to overcome that. And we, too, as Christians, even though we've been born again and we have a Heavenly Father that takes care of us, sometimes we forget and we go back into our old patterns. Sometimes we gravitate to those just as Matt did. There's no such thing as instant maturity. It will take time to conform to the image of God. And this is something that's really important because people think that right away, as soon as they become a Christian, everything is gonna be better. The other way is by measuring by the world's standards. Not all feelings of low self-esteem come from painful experiences. We can develop our own thoughts that are controlling and that we meditate on too often. We can build up our egos or satisfy our fleshly appetites. Many Christians don't realize that such negative self-perception is based on the values of a fallen world and that they reflect an inadequate understanding of the gospel. Again, feelings of rejection are unavoidable. We need to focus on what God's standards are. And this is something that we've learned all week at camp. Genuinely speaking, appearance, performance, and social status are standards of this world. These are important to a certain degree, and we shouldn't completely disregard them. But it's wrong when we use them to evaluate ourselves and compare ourselves to one another through fitness, fashion, health, wealth, and beauty. We do have our limitations, and there will always be someone else that will outdo us. And realistically, how long can it last? Again, the outcome of these are that we will wear masks. We'll have jealousy, dissatisfaction, extreme depression and self-loathing, comparing ourselves constantly to others. We can even compare ourselves to other Christians and think that they're so much better than we are. I could never be a good Christian like that. So there is hope. How do we overcome? The steps to overcoming rejection and low self-esteem are finding freedom through Christ. Humbly bow before God's throne of grace. Many of us don't really understand grace and that we need to come to him and that he does give us forgiveness. As soon as we do sin or fall short, we need to come to God and ask him for forgiveness and believe in it. And don't dwell on it. Don't look back and just move on. Recognize our sanctification in Christ. Our name is in the book of life, and we need to realize that Christ didn't die for nothing. Second, we need to refocus away from what others or we think and onto what God thinks of us. Let our creator, not others, define who we are. We need to catch unbiblical thoughts and make, and make them biblical truths. And that's the list that I gave you um, that you have that you can pick up in the back. There's a whole list of biblical thoughts of what God truly believes of us. We need to look into the word, memorize scripture. And as soon as Satan comes to us with those lies, we need to tear that down right away and fight him back with the scriptures and the truths of what the gospel truly says about us. Need to, number three, develop a dynamic prayer life. That involves forgiveness of those who hurt us. This can also include fasting. Unforgiveness keeps us from being effective. We focus on unforgiveness instead of God's grace, and prayer strengthens us. The Bible tells us that after Job prayed, he was blessed doubly. Number four, we need to refocus on the truth and on all that is good and on God by dealing with our painful memories. We need to pour out our hearts to God and tell him of the pain and find somebody trustworthy that we can share our pain in and for accountability. We've been stressing this all week, and it's so important that we do find someone to reach out to. We also need to remove our masks and empty ourselves and let God work in us. Pray for acceptance of who you are. And the benefits? We get to experience the abundant life There's a quote that says, Expect great things from God and attempt great things for God. We develop a new heart, a heart that understands God's grace and love, a heart that is grateful, forgiving, and generous. We can become a servant out of love and not duty. Our relationships can become rich and deep with God first and with others, and we become a person of significance. We can feel true freedom in Christ to be who God wants us to be. Not our own perceptions of what we think we should be or those around us. God's kind of significance far outlasts the temporal significance found in this world. We can experience a life filled with God's benefits. We can know Him, glorify Him, find sanctification in Him, experience His peace, and enjoy His presence. At this point, I wanted to just open it up and see if anyone had any questions or comments or if anyone has any experiences that they would like to share.
2: Mm-hmm. Um,
0: I can see what I do is if any negative thought starts coming, I can immediately, I, I know it's coming and I know how to fight it now. I have those tools and um, I can pray about it and I can right away you know, turn to Dragon, and I can tell him, he, he knows, like, um, you know, I can kind of tell him the kind of the same question, you know, do you think I'm ugly? And he right away kind of knows that I'm starting to feel a little bit lower. Um, yes. Do you ever experience anger at all? Oh, okay. Um, did I ever experience anger at all? I did. Um, I experienced anger like towards my mom actually because um, I felt like um, even though she had no control over her sickness, I was angry about the situation to a certain degree, and especially when she came home from the hospital. That might sound odd, but we started having some conflict because she would be laying on the couch and trying to tell me what to do and how to cook, and I sort of felt like, well, I know what I'm doing. I've been you know, doing it all along. So we had some struggles there in that way. But I also did feel um, anger towards God because um, I was praying and praying for years for him to heal me of this. And I felt like, why is he not listening to me? Yes.
1: For the sake of some that may not understand what bulimia is, maybe you
0: can Um Okay, what is bulimia? Bulimia is a eating disorder. Um, and what it is is people actually turn to food um, to fulfill a certain need. Um, some people do what, what they call um, The binge it's called the binge and purge cycle some people eat very very much and then they cause themselves to throw up or take laxatives Um, one way that I had bulimia was I would um, just starve myself all week and then like binge on the weekends and um, For this it's it's a way of making yourself. I guess relieving um, Emotions and dealing with stress like a person would turn to alcohol
2: Thoughts are constantly on food, and when am I going to eat, and what am I going to eat, and why can't I just eat three meals a day like a normal person, mm-hmm. and why do I have to, to do this? And, and the voting part comes when you realize that this is simple. My mm-hmm. entire being is consumed by my thoughts of food, the loving of food. The love for whom and the hate for whom. And so you really, it consumes you. And there is no time for God. And you realize that,
0: that because of that,
2: your relationship with God
0: suffers so much. Mm hmm. And this is actually quite a common problem, um, is even here in our church. Um, I've shared this before a number of years ago, and people have come forward and said that they, you know, have suffered from the same thing. Uh, Carol, how do you recognize? Um, how do you recognize what bullying? I'm not. I'm not really sure. Um, they are very, very secretive. Um, my oldest brother Walter, he kind of suspected, and he he confronted me with it, and and I kind of just brushed him off. And um, but I don't think anybody else would have suspected. Unless it's in your own home. I mean, I I did stay with someone for a weekend, and I suspected that she did have it, and I was right. And I did confront her and and her husband, and and uh, talk to them about it, and asked her to get some help. Um, but you can tell if you know, people leave, they run to the bathroom right away after they've eaten or if they are not eating normally, like normal eating patterns like what Carol said.
1: I had a daughter-in-law that was like that and she always smelled of, uh,
0: mm-hmm and uh, me I was
2: wondering if now since you've had your own kids have you been able to
0: Um, Do you want to ask them? (laughs) 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 Um, Oh, I'm sorry. Um, She she asked the question, since I suffered from low self-esteem, have I been able to prevent that from passing that on to my children? I really thank God that that was something that I really prayed about a lot and daily, that God would help me. And um, I am a nurturer, and I was able to give my children a lot of love and affection, I think. And um, I was aware of that, um, that since I suffered from that, I didn't want to pass that on to them. So I I hope that they don't. (laughs) Okay, the question was When do I think that someone would need professional help? Um, for low self esteem or? Well, I guess it's because we're talking about the idea there's someone that I'm so and might
2: have a problem, and every time I talk to her about it, she denies it. Mm-hmm.
0: I think as soon as you can get help, the the better it is, and if you suspect it, I would talk to her again and really encourage her to get help. Yes, Stella.
2: Push them more down in a downward
0: spiral. Um, the question was um, do you think it's you should go and confront the person? I would say yes in a very loving way, definitely. And encourage the person that they're not alone, that it is such a common problem. Uh, Barb? Um,
3: if someone have a problem, find out.
0: Um, the question was: Does um, should she give information to these people with bulimia? Bulimics are experts on it. They know everything about it. I read everything that I could on it, and um, they they really do know. But what you can do is talk to the person in a loving way again.
2: like, down, they can talk to down
0: Sure. Did you want to answer that question? I would say, when I went through it,
2: it wasn't even a word. I mean,
0: it wasn't, it was nothing. No one ever talked about it in the way that I
2: realized that I had it because I thought I'm the only person with this psychosis. I'm just enough. I can't even I'm consumed by this. And I read an article, magazine article, and this girl was me. By the time she woke up and described her day, the time she ended her day, it "Mm was me. I thought, oh my gosh, this is what I do. So for me it helped very much to read it. Put a name on it, and you are. We are also, when you're going through it, you're an expert in hiding it. Mm-hmm. There's no way that you can get away with doing it for years without anybody knowing, and it is really, it's, it's just a really sad state of life to be <coughs> in. And so, they're very good at hiding it. and I think if you're confronted, I think it's in a loving way, it lets. You know that someone loves you and cares enough to bring it to your to your attention. And I would say that information I wouldn't overwhelm them, but
0: let them know that there is help out there. With me, the way I started um, bulimia was actually an older a sister from the church that was a few years older than me told me about this and told me that she actually did it. So I thought it was okay. I was only you know I was very young. I was about you know thirteen or
2: 14. That to be my question. How do you ever think of doing that? I, I would never be able to think of doing that. Yeah, the get to know how to do that.
0: Well, you know what, as a teenager, though, um, they talk about it in schools. It's in a lot of teen magazines. It is. Even just reading about it as a sickness. Um, yes?
3: There's also websites uh, that specialize in this mm-hmm. sort of thing. Uh, Negative standpoint that are very popular with young people, especially young girls. I right. can't think of the names on the right now, but they've got a special quality to them that make them extremely popular. I was interested in whether or not you think that the church had anything to do with this, or was it basically a personal issue? Um, we can see things, you know, bits and pieces of different things, but. In spite of everything that was going on spiritually with you and in the church, that seemed not to make
0: any difference. Is that a statement? I, I think, um, not, not to put the church down at all from where I grew up, definitely, but um, I also, I think I had an identity crisis in, in my church, too. I really didn't know who I was. We, had, we have such a, a vast difference, and, and I put on masks trying to be a people pleaser for one. And being an elder's daughter wasn't always easy either. Like we were sort of under the microscope and criticized a lot for, you know, the littlest thing. So that's why I felt like if I come out with this thing, it's, it's going to be, you know, pretty devastating, I thought, you know, to my family. Um, Brother Ted.
3: Sorry. Sometimes, they, if, if we have to understand that
2: we are not the closest people to the person that might not enough. So it's always good to find out or look around who might be much closer that can address that situation a lot more than we
3: ourselves mm-hmm. because sometimes we're just not close enough, but we are far enough that we can notice things that our culture might not be. Different.
0: Right. Right. If you suspected it, maybe in a girl, you can maybe go and talk to the mother and say, you know what, I see some signs here, and maybe you're not aware of this sickness, but I can see some of the symptoms, and maybe you can keep your eyes open and be aware of this, and you know possibly take her to the doctor for a checkup so that she could um, talk to the doctor, Lori. Um,
2: how to balance, or how to feel you with balance, if, you're, if the children, okay, over, obesity is obviously a problem in our country, 64% of adults are overweight, and you see uh, your teenagers maybe getting a little pudgier. yes. and they really, for their health sake and all, might need to watch, but you, you don't want them to go over the edge.
0: Yes, um, I remember when... Um, when my my children were about maybe nine and ten they they start going through that stage, and melissa 's dying of embarrassment but um, i was I was concerned about that because i didn 't want my kids um, to go through those struggles and I take it that as the head of the house i 'm the dietitian of our house. I am responsible to provide healthy food for my children that they can be healthy human beings and um, we really were careful with um, like portion control and Limiting the snacking because like the house I grew up in my parents both came from um, the depression. They were very poor So they wanted us to have as much food as possible and the heavier. We are the healthier. We are so um, You know so they really didn't They didn't like tell us. Oh, you should you know lose a little bit of weight It was they actually were praised by other people in the church that would come up to them and say How do you have your children looking so healthy like? And um, so they took it as that we were healthy. But when um, there was just a children's book that I found, um, the Bernstein Bears, and one of them was too much junk food. And that was when, like, when I noticed that my kids were maybe starting to get a little bit, um, eating a little bit too much, I read them that book, and I said, you know, now we're going to be very careful. And just limiting it, it is important. I do believe that. Like, we have to teach, like, moderation in all things, I think, in all areas. I would would just like to add to that. The word
2: diet is not a bad word. You want to just make sure that when your kids hear, when your daughters especially hear the word diet, they know that every adult woman is on a diet, and she's trying to lose weight. So they think, that's what I need to do, and I need to to starve myself, and I need not to eat. The word diet is not a bad word every one of us has a diet. Mm-hmm. I mean, it just depends on what you're eating. Mm-hmm. You know, types of food. All of us are on some kind of diet. Right. And that's what I tell my children. And, and it is just basically keeping the junk food away from them. I think especially during that time in their lives. Mm-hmm. But if they eat it, you don't want to condemn them for it. You don't ever want them to, to have a, a negative, just what happens to your body as you put in it. Mm-hmm.
0: but even more so than dwelling on the outward appearance what i really try to teach my daughter is it's the inward and what God wants from you, I, you know, even if we do ever get on the topic of the outward appearance, I, I really try to turn it to, but you know, God thinks you're so beautiful because you have these wonderful qualities, you are so loving. And I, I try to point out the things that she does as a wonderful Christian young lady, and I tell her to grow on those things. Those are what, what is important. Yes, that
2: it's important. Right. Because then, as an adult, you feel
0: like you need that as a reward. for? It's hard. We still like food. I mean, our, we, we, we do. We, you know, we love the ice cream and stuff. But, um, and I, I can say, I mean, we, we do use it as a reward to a certain degree where we'll, you know, we'll go out f- um, for a treat and stuff, but not a reward for, oh, you did great on this, here's, here's a cookie, you know, in that way. Again, I think moderation in all things. Yes, Steve. Did
1: your culture,
3: culture have any influence on you in that? I mean, you explained it in terms of your self-image, your relationship with the Lord, and not yeah confident in yourself. But what about, you know, everything you see on TV and advertisements? The ideal. Was
0: that an impact? It might have been a little bit, but... Um, I'm not saying this to make myself better than others, but like I'm not really a person that's based on outward appearance a lot. I don't focus a lot on that, and um, I don't like watch a lot of TV or um, you know look through the magazines a whole lot. I know it's all out there, and we do compare. Like I think you know from minute to minute we see others and we can form impressions. Um, for me, I pretty much compared myself just to myself, but even now, like I, I don't really. I don't even, I don't look in the mirror very much. I don't, I don't focus on the outward appearance much. I really try to focus on the inward.
3: I oh,
2: question with the whole perfectionistic thing.
0: Mm-hmm.
2: Um, in, in some ways it's hard because who doesn't want to be perfect? Right. Um, in, in everything. Um, so how, how do you counsel somebody or deal with yourself and that whole aspect? Yeah.
0: How do you deal with perfectionism? Um, This is one of the areas I still struggle with. I I think it's a personality type to a certain degree because I I really, um, I I still have a lot of that in me. I have let go a lot, but um, even I wanted to be the perfect wife, the perfect mother, um, have the house immaculate. I still like those things, but um, I have learned, especially as the children have gotten older, it's harder to keep things all in control. And I saw that that carried into even raising my children i wanted them to be a certain way to look a certain way um and i had to let that go like that's a struggle that's in me still like constantly i i have to just they're they're in the lord's hands and i have to leave it at that um i can also say um my my one sister marlene really helped me with the perfection thing too and um she was a role model for me just um enjoying life and people and not getting so high-strung about, you know, this and this and this that's not perfect. So I think it's a struggle. Yeah, exactly. And I can really say I have overcome that quite a bit. I mean, you can come over now. It's not, I know you were just over recently and you... (laughs) But that is just... um, you know, the way I am, I guess, the personality type. Um I'm sorry there's one question back there. I think I'm mm-hmm. a very strong perception. Um what I've
2: been to do over here to try to grow with that is to prioritize both
0: the most important things that have in order and then consciously give myself permission to leave the things on the bottom left on the top. that's right. Prioritize. I guess for me, I have a lot of energy, and I, I really can get a lot of things accomplished. Um, that was one of the things of that I learned from when my mother was sick. I mean, I you know I basically ran a household with um, eleven people living in it, and there was tons of laundry. And so, I mean, I can find that I really—it's not a struggle for me. But what I have to do is evaluate and see. Is my family suffering from this? Are, are, you know, and if they're not, then that's fine. I can have the perfect house. But if we're going to be late getting somewhere or they're going to be neglected because I have to do something, that's when I think it gets into being a problem. But being a perfectionist, I, like, we need those people also like in, in the church. They, they, there is value in people like that. Um, Sir Bob, Brother Bob, go ahead. Well, I was just going to say that in that perfection thing, being a bricklayer, I've had to learn to
1: overcome that too. Um, I always thought that you ought to uh, do this, the job. And so what you do is you set yourself a standard there, and you—if you want to meet that standard, that's one thing. But don't expect everybody else to meet that standard, and don't criticize because they haven't. Mm-hmm. There's some people that cannot. So I—I I had to learn that. Okay, this is where my standard is. I want. I'm going to set it that way, and that's where I want to be. But I don't have to expect all my fellow bricklayers to do the same thing.
0: Right, China
1: right. The walls
2: come one screen. Oh. Yeah, yeah.
0: <laughs> um. There's a hand in the back.
2: There is actually, I think, an instance here of perfection. It's the time when you overhear your teenage children's friend whisper that they can't come to their house because their mom likes.
0: Mm-hmm. Right. And that's the perspective Right, right. I don't think we're there. Our house is always packed with, with the youth group, with the kids. So that's not, um, at least for me, it's, it's fine. My parents were the same way. If our carpets get ruined, that's fine. It was for a good reason. Um, Carol.
2: Could you have been rescued as a 9, 10, 11 year old if someone would have put a stop to that comic strip, if you would have been? firm um, in having being beautiful or that you were fine as you were,
0: would that have made a difference? It probably would have, maybe to a certain degree, but I think the damage was already done. I mean, I think when the first issue of the comic, you know, strip came out, that, that was when, actually that was when my eyes were opened and I realized that I was chubby. I think before then I didn't even really notice it much.
2: I think And really that it can be um, definitely be um, stopped because that's what I needed. I needed my my time of Molenia after I graduated from high school. Being a um, born-again Christian, a member of the episode, Christian Church, and just wondering, okay, now I'm, you know, is better, am I going to get married? Am I going to go to college? What am I going to do? And I just was so confused about my own life, and then we didn't have, I mean, it was just myself and my sisters and a couple other people in our church, young people. Our church was very small at that time, and I needed someone to confirm me as a human being, and I didn't get that from my mother. She was too busy. She was working, and she was raising eight kids, and so we got very little eyes. -hmm. I would have gotten that at that time from someone. And I think if the comic strip, if your parents would have known how much that hurt you, and if they would have gone to the child that made it and it didn't last a year or two, you would have seen and and I don't know, I'm just mm. this is just assumption, but I think you would have seen and felt and realized the love that your parents have and that they did take the time for you to stop. Just stop. Mm-hmm. Thank you, Margaret. If I could make this a point about, a positive note about the encouragement. We all need to practice the art of encouragement. And I mentioned somewhere in one of our classes that there's a book out, I think it's called Silver Boxes, and it really teaches you how to give someone a silver box, which is an encouragement. And make it a point of, I guess because I'm a teacher, I always look for that in the children, to give them some kind, some kind of encouragement. Everybody needs a positive every day. And if you're in church and you see a little child running around or whatever, if you come across them in your past, give them some, something of encouragement. And adults as well. But I think children especially
0: need that. Yeah, and those of us that you know maybe were not raised to have parents that did praise us, we have to make the extra effort then to do that. Oh, sorry. Pardon me, Dean? Yes.
3: we should keep our focus on.
0: Definitely. Yeah, we need to keep our focus on um, Christ and His approval and not on man's approval. And we can see that we are never going to be able to please everyone. Was there one more? Um,
1: it's easy to praise a little what they're cute. It's the in between age where they're turning into teenagers at 9 to 11 year old age that yeah. you know, they're not the cute
0: little
2: kids anymore they know it. And they've they that, more. That's the most critical. As you pass by them, say good morning, recognize them as human beings because they feel that they're being overlooked by society. Right. And, and their friends are really
0: hard on them. Right. And especially according to that survey that I did, I mean, really ages 13 to 18, they're influenced, especially by their peers. And that's really, you know, kids can be really mean. They get into school and they're made fun of. Yes, this is the book that she let me borrow on uh, Building Self Esteem in Children. It's very good by I forget the Patricia author Burns. Patricia Burns thank you Margaret and uh, was there one more hand in the back there yeah Barb Thank you. Anyone else? Uh, she she made a comment that um, Barb was it that God puts the seeds in each of the hearts, in every one of us. Yes, we all have value in God. Definitely. Well, thank you very much, everyone, for coming. And if anyone would like to talk after, there are handouts in the back as well.